0: Let's just say thanks to Jeremy and the band for all that they do. I do have to say I, I am deeply touched um, by the warm act of changing the stage because I am preaching tonight. They decided to put me up a little bit higher, and uh, it's a really nice touch. Actually, it actually has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Some of you do know me. Um, my name is Matt Lucas. I actually serve as an intern here at—I'm uh, a Fuller student— but I serve as an intern here at the warehouse. And some of you guys know me as the hub guy. Um, Basically, I strive to produce organization and guidance for our hubs. And if you are asking the question, well, what is a hub, I'm the guy to come ask. And as many of you know, um, those that have been here for a little while, during the summers, we actually don't do hubs. Usually, we do something else. And actually, this summer, so they had to figure out something else for me to do, so they gave me this task. So this summer, um, we are going to do something a little bit different. Um, There's been talk and there's been desires to do a book study and that's what we're going to do And uh, we're going to spend a couple of nights um, together throughout the summer um, And we're going to study the book of james Um, It is a text that is both powerful and alluring, but is also highly misunderstood Uh, And personally, I I can't explain how excited I am for us To be changed in this text and to engage in it and be changed from the inside out through its transformative message Um, James takes reality and flips it on the end and causes us to look at life again through a kingdom perspective. Look at life the way that God would have us look at it. Um, With that said, I I really can't wait for the summer series to start, so we're going to start tonight. And so um, we're going to jump right into James, and we're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. So why don't you please pray with me? Father God, I am humbled by your word. And we, Heavenly Father, are humbled by your word. And Lord, I would just ask, Heavenly Father, that, that you would just uh, be here, manifest in our presence tonight, God. That your word would be spoken, Heavenly Father. That though it comes from a human tongue, Heavenly Father, it will find flight in the Holy Spirit and find a seat in our hearts and change us forever. We give this to you. So if you would please sh- turn in your Bibles... Um, to James 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses. I'm reading out of the, uh, the today's New English version. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must not believe, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Washington, D.C., November twenty first, 1864. Dear Madam, it has been showed to me in the files of the War Department A statement of the Adjunct General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief so lost and so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering you the consolation that must be found in the thanks of a republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assume the anguish of your bereavement and leave you with the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid such a costly sacrifice on the altar of freedom. Yours, very uh, sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. Some of us probably recognize these words in the sentiments of this letter. Its entirety was read in the movie Saviour Private Ryan and... It was the catalyst for the general um, who read it to place an order for the mission for Captain Miller, who is played by Tom Hanks, and his men to go into German-occupied France and to save the only surviving son of a mother who had already lost three sons who were fighting in World War III. And I read this letter now in our hearings to highlight several elements. One, knowing who the sender of the letter is adds importance and emphasis. Two, the recipient is the means in which to understand the letter's intent and purpose. And three, the context of the letter is the platform in which the language comes alive and impacts the life of the reader. We all know who the sender is. He's one of the most fam- famous presidents of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And um, his words, when they're, when they're spoken in an American assembly, they seem to be listened to with heightened expectation and respect The words of a famous person such as Lincoln are the words which built the philosophy and the practical workings of this country. It was Lincoln who held the Republic together during this ascension of the Civil War. And it was Lincoln who finally gave slaves their liberation. Abraham Lincoln is a hero of the United States. And most of us are taught early on in our schooling that he is a great man and that we should pay attention and heed his words. So today when we read this letter to the widow Bixby, the letter is a writ- letter written from his hands, it moves us to listen a little bit more earnestly because these words are from an important person, a person of power and authority. The recipient of this letter was the widow Bixby, a woman who had already experienced the death of her husband, and now she had recently found out that she had lost all five of her sons who died fighting in, in the Civil War. The image of a mother who experiences the loss of a child is one of deep sadness. And I know that every one of us in some way can identify with the loss of a loved one. We all get it. It's serious. It sucks. And it is sad. And to whom this letter is written, to a mother who has lost sons, gives Lincoln's words meaning. For now there is a purpose and an intent for their use to offer some words of condolences in the face of tragedy. That is the purpose of this letter, which is highlighted by us identifying who is the recipient. And finally, the context of this letter, death and mourning. Without the context, without that piece, the other two elements discussed, the sender and the recipient, lose their footing. For it is the context that brings them together. It is the context that gives them the platform in which these words shared between two parties come alive and have impact. If the widow Bixby had not lost five sons, then there would be no reason for this letter. And these words of Lincoln's would be useless, worth about what the paper they are written on. Therefore, through these three elements, sender, recipient, In context, the words of Lincoln's letters impact us, for we can crawl into the space of the widow Bixby and feel the anguish and pain of the loss of her five sons. The words in eloquent fashion offer appropriate means of comfort, yet honor the severity of the situation. I mean, let's face it, Abraham Lincoln was a wordsmith. And the words do this in a way in which, in a few short sentences, we even today, hearing this almost 150 years later, can feel it. And we can sympathize with the widow Bixby. However, we read this letter as outsiders. We are merely looking into the circumstances and happenings of someone else's life. We are reading someone else's mail. And though we read the letter, though we know the names of the players in its scene, and we can feel the emotions and are moved by the images that it creates, we are distant from it. Though these words and thoughts of other people during a time uh, during another time, there is no sense of intimacy, no sense of closeness with this situation, we don't have a first-hand experience of this circumstance. I am now implored to ask the question: How many of us read the Bible from this distance? I fear many times we, and I do include myself, for I constantly have to reevaluate the place of Scripture in my life, see the Bible as a collection of words for another people, written in some far-off land in some far-off time. And I fear that many times we read the Bible as outsiders. Mrs. Bixby, I can imagine, when she read the words of Lincoln, accepted them for her. They were from Lincoln to her the question then is can we read the bible for us for you and me today some 2000 years after it was penned can we feel it so we're going to look at james together and ask this question of ourselves during our time of study starting tonight in order to do this, we need to retrace the three elements we've already discussed of a letter. We need to retrace the elements of sender, recipient, and context, and all three of these elements are contained in James one one. Though we call the book of uh, though we call it a book, the book of James is a letter. It's a fairly large one, but it is no Romans or First and Second Corinthians. Paul could really write a letter; those things are huge, but. Luckily, James is quite a bit smaller. In fact, we can read it from front to back in as little as 20 minutes. It's a little bit more manageable. It was a common practice in the ancient world to write longer letters for the use of teaching and exhortation. These writings were known as epistles. That's where that word comes from. And it was, um, it was the, in the formal, in the former writing rhetoric of the Roman world, are a lot of R's in there. It was common for a person of authority to write a long letter, issuing commands and guidance for the purpose, um, um, a certain purpose to a group of community of their followers. This is the exact function of the letter of James. Now, general letters were used as well. There was correspondence between friends, families, business associates, kind of like maybe our email, maybe even text messages. But there was a place and a purpose for the epistles. And it's important for us to recognize that that is what we're dealing with with James. If you went out to your mailbox in first century Palestine and you opened it up and you pulled out this big honking letter, you would realize that, hey, this is something of importance. I need to pay attention to this. It's kind of like when you apply or when you will apply for colleges and you're waiting for those acceptance letters back, you don't really want to receive the little envelope. You want to receive the big envelope. You know, the one that has all the information means, hey, welcome. You know, the little one already says, sorry, you're rejected. So we realize it's a letter. So who's the sender? Well, James, of course. But which James are we talking about? The most common answer is is that the writer is James the Just, the brother of Jesus, who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, um, as discussed in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 21. However, whoever this James is really is not that important. I want to say that again. Whoever James is really is not that important. Look at how he addresses himself. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James, through this labeling of himself, accomplishes two things. He underwrites himself with humility as he gets himself out of the way of the letter. And he establishes where the letter receives its true authority. James could have addressed the letter, "James, the brother of Jesus Christ, your Lord, and the head of the church." In so way he said, "Hey, read this and shudder. I'm the man with family ties in the business. I'm the man with the power and authority. I'm the man with the prestige, I'm the man with the office, but he doesn't." He says, "James, a servant." The most exalted statement he can say about himself is not his leadership of the church or his relationship to Jesus, but the fact that he, like every other Christian, is a servant of God and of Jesus. This statement is the statement of humility before God and the recognition of where true power and authority lies. James understands himself merely to be the mouthpiece, a herald for what God desires, his master, to its audience. This term, servant of God, is used of the Old Testament addressing peoples like Moses... And David. And it is from this vantage point which he speaks. For Moses went up on the mountain. He met God face to face. He received the commandments. He received the decrees. And then he went down on the mountain and then he spoke them to the children of Israel. The same idea James is establishing here in his greeting. Therefore, it is not impo- entirely important for us to, to historically understand who or which James wrote this letter. To focus on this aspect is to, in fact, lose the much bigger picture. For James is saying, God wrote this. I am just his servant. So listen up, because this stuff comes from on high. As Abraham Lincoln added power and importance to the letter to the widow Bixby, We are now looking at a letter that is considered by the author actually to be written by the hand of God. Abraham Lincoln. God. I wonder who has more power and authority. And I wonder who we should listen more attentively to. So we have the sender is God. But what of the audience? What of its recipients? James 1 -1 says, to the twelve tribes what do we make of 12 tribes? Who are they? Most of us are thinking Israel right now. Most of us would be right. But wait a minute. Why would a servant of Jesus Christ be writing a letter to the 12 tribes of Israel? It's a little confusing. For Jews in the first century Palestine, who believed in Jesus Christ, was the Messiah. They understood that the hope and the promise of God was complete through the death and resurrection of Jesus in other words, the prophecies and the commandments that to mark the Israelites as separate from other nations and people in the Old Testament now belong to those who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Christians, both Gentiles and Jews, are being addressed here. For God, who originally created a nation out of 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, has grafted believers into, the, into his family through the ministry of Jesus Christ. This means that believers are God's people the way that the Romans were Caesar's people or the way that the Egyptians were Pharaoh's people. This is now, God is now the common bond that unites us all depending on where we come from whether Gentile or Jew male or female the way Paul puts it. All are members of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But that was then I want to argue it's still the same today. And furthermore, it is of great importance today that we realize the reality that this letter is addressed to us as well. It is a timeless address. And it calls for us. For we today are the church. And in our gathering is a hope and promise of God's salvation. We are the body of Christ. This is our letter to be read as it was written to us, not as outsiders, but as its intended recipients. You and I are the 12 tribes in James's eyes, and you and I, us together, are the 12 tribes in God's eyes. Therefore, it is right and correct to understand that this is a letter written by God for us to read today. And it allows for the letter to fully impact our lives. Just as the widow Bixby received the words from Lincoln as a direct response um, into the situation in her life, we shall also receive the book of James, the Bible, but specifically the book of James, as a direct response to the situations in our lives. So far, we've addressed the sender who is God. We've addressed the recipients who is us, or we, Now we get to the last element of a letter that we have discussed, the context. James 1.1 finishes, scattered among the nations. This phrase literally means dispersion, or better yet, exile. It originally spoke of the Jews uh, being dispersed through Palestine and Asia Minor. First, it speaks to uh, to the exile into Babylon in the Old Testament. Later, it referred to the spreading out of the Jews after the Second Temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans to quail Jewish insurgents. This carries the connotation that the recipients were living in places, in towns and cities that were not their homelands. They were strangers and foreigners. Within this context of the Roman world, this is serious business. For being a foreigner meant to lack the legal status in society, being an outsider in the Roman world was a horrible, undesirable place to be. It was equivalent of being on the last rung of society. Today, we might want to label these people as homeless, supposed criminals, vagrants. This was the type of labeling comes with hardship, oppression by local city governments, cultural pressures and persecutions, because one does not fit within the status quo. A foreigner and stranger in the Roman world had no means to conduct trade, be part of society, own land, provide sustenance for themselves. They were completely useless and untrustworthy as far as the communal understanding went because they did not conform to the pattern of life of their neighbors. Therefore, the label is extended to the believers in the greeting of James's letter. For the early Christians, because of their commitment to the message of Jesus Christ, found themselves in exile found themselves as strangers and foreigners in the land in which they inhabited. By committing oneself to follow Jesus meant that you couldn't participate in the cultural practices of the time. You couldn't go into the temples and worship idols. You couldn't go offer food and other goods to the gods. You couldn't venerate and worship the emperor who is considered to be himself a god. These were things you could not do and be faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God. So they were ostracized from society. Labeled as atheists, for they did not honor and respect the Roman gods. There was no other gods besides the Roman gods. So if you didn't worship their gods, you were an atheist. They were also labeled as cannibals. Because the word on the street was they shared a meal of body and blood of a man named Jesus. These were two gross, I mean, these were the biggest offenses you could have. In the Roman world, atheist and cannibal. The Roman world was built around aspects of conformity. You must fall in line or you will be oppressed. You will be marginalized. You will be pushed out. This is the context in which James's letter is written. To a group of people that have been placed in exile because of their commitment to God and Jesus Christ. Just as the context of death and mourning... Give the platform for understanding Lincoln's letter to to Mrs. Bixby. It gave life and meaning to what Lincoln was saying. So does the context of exile bring meaning and life to the letter of James. Now, the rub of all this is this the sticky part I've kind of alluded to as I've talked. Can we identify with our early brothers and sisters in the faith? When we read these things, can we say, hey, that's me too? I've already said we should read this letter as it was our own. If we recognize that this letter is addressed to us as well, then we have to face the realities. Do we find ourselves in exile from our surrounding culture? Or may it be sometimes that we are so comfortable with our surroundings that we fail to make connections with God's word? May it be that because we are so distant from the inherent tension of what it means to live in exile that when James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, we have no concept of what he means by trials. Maybe this is the reason that the promise of God who gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault is lost on us. Because we are so certain that we have it all figured out that we today do not need God, why would we pray and ask and plead for His wisdom? And maybe we're like the person blown and tossed, like the wave of the sea. Maybe we do not ask Him faith and we doubt because we seek emotional concepts in our faith walk. We seek to feel good. We seek to, to, to be happy with God and happy in our relationships when in fact faith in James's eyes, is a commitment. It's kind of like what we have to deal with in marriage. It's not easy, but you stick with it. You say, I'm going to believe in God, you believe in God. If you think God lets you down, you just don't run the other way. It's a hard word. i mean, not saying this is easy. I don't ever want to come across like I have this figured out, because I don't. And I've been wrestling with this all week. And I'm just saying, I know this isn't easy to hear. But the importance is, is this is where this text is leading us. The challenge is to recognize how we view Scripture. And reevaluate its place in our life. And figures out what it means to read our mail. Not as outsiders, but to read these letters coming to us. We need to ask ourselves, what does it look like? To be in exile. Where are the areas of tension, hardship, confusion, anger, bitterment, oppression and persecution in our lives? For we normally here in the West, we don't experience physical persecution very much. But we do experience cultural. We do experience um, emotional. What are the areas I need to hear God Where is it that I'm actually not comfortable? I say this with a sober heart and in all seriousness. It is in these places which God speaks loudest. And we have proof. This letter, written to a group of people experiencing pain and oppression, God issues his word to them. And this word is alive for us as well today just like the letter from mrs bixby from lincoln was written during a time of great heartache and pain so where is your exile where is your pain it is from that place where we read this letter it is that place that this letter is addressed to you it is from that place where god will speak from where from there you will find purpose and encouragement this letter is written in the context of pain and oppression And it will give encouragement and means in which to understand the ways of the world and how God sees things. For when we adorn God's perspective, we were able to put things in right perspective. Can you read this letter in its context? Take what it says and means for you. Can we as a community let this letter, this book, this word of God speak to us in this place and let it fulfill and change our lives. After all, what more do we need? The letter is already here. It's in ink. It's been translated in English. It is from God to us. It is his words. And it contains his promises. It contains his hope. It contains his plans. And it is extended to us as the chosen people. As the 12 tribes living in the midst of our exile. It's our mail written for us. So let's read our mail together. Now is the time. That was the sermon. Now is the time for the shameless plug. I truly hope that all of you can make on um, the summer series that we're starting on July 3rd. Um, there'll be information and details to follow. I, I hope that this Bible study is not just a time of teaching or a time of instructions, but an actual time of us learning what it means to make Scripture a priority in all of our lives. It's, I want it to be a journey. And though I know that the letter of Bixby and, and, and the context of what was going on um, to the early Christians is heavy, and sometimes it, it's, it's really heavy, and sometimes you're like, I don't identify with that, you know? I haven't lost five sons in the Civil War. I don't think anybody's has, but it's... Um, it's something we can still identify with and there's areas in all of our lives in which James, well, God through James wants to speak to us. So I just add that invitation. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much just for the power of your word. We thank you for, God, just how present you are in it that you're not distant, that you're not some far-off land with far-off people, but that you're here right now in this room in Pasadena. And God, we, we, we need to hear you. And we need to hear from you. And we need to know what it's like to have you manifest in our lives. God, you are so ready to give um, hope and promise and joy and security And God, we desperately need these things. We give it to you, Father God. Thank you for this word. Amen.